from grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. And I'm Katie. And Gordon's still here. Yep. I what? camped out. I put a cot down in the basement. Happened. But this is still the best beer show on the internet. It's probably true. <laughs> Well, take the chuckle. All right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, just I was watching Gordon pour a beer into a tiny glass, and he's a large man. It's like, <laughs> it made me chuckle and get distracted. I don't know. What, don't you ever pour beer into to- into small cups so you can feel like a giant? Nope. Oh, I, I like that feeling. <laughs> I've only seen one person that can make an entire Foster's can disappear behind their hand. Gordon probably has a, a, a Twitch feed of large men drinking small glasses or something. <laughs> like, no, that's rules his, uh, of the glass. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's his fans only page. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> or his oh, only fans page. <laughs> right up there where you can get the feet oh, pics God. and uh, My Little girls. Pony. Well, anyway, the American uh, Homebrewers Association does a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. But not his OnlyFans. Uh, joining the AHA will give you discounts to homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Click on their furl link them off our homepage and join today. Yeah. Also, we need to give a shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornson, Devin Stinson, and Tyler Romanski. If you'd like to become a patron and as awesome as those guys, head on over to patreon.com slash blindstudios and become a patron today. Uh, yeah, Brian, what have you been up to beer-related lately? Oh yes, Brian just went like like gave like oh shit. Well, because I like Space. <laughs> you blew your wad again. I didn't think about it. <laughs> I always do, my friend. Uh, well, uh, we're gonna drink the fifth triple on the show, and I think Katie and I we've probably talked about. Yeah, I mean, this do you guys, do you guys want to talk about this beer for a second? Well, this could be do maybe our co. What have yeah, we? Yeah, you guys do want to combine our co. What have we been up to? We were just commenting yes. on the label of this beer, which yeah. Uh, Brian has more to do with the labels yeah. of our beer than probably anybody in the brewery. Yeah, so so we had this conversation earlier, and it was um, so one of our so so Katie's co-brewer uh, Ethan, and and you know they take care of all the brewing and everything, and I, you know, I used to brew, and I still could if I needed to. If you guys disappeared for some reason, please don't. Uh, okay. But. Uh, I, I could get on the system and I could make beer and do all of those things, but I, you know, it, I'll just throw it out here. Ethan called me a paper pusher. The other, That's because you are. The other day and I told, I said, shut up, brew rat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he heard me say that. But yeah, he, he, he told me about it. Like, shut up, brew rat. Like, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, all right. So and whatever. It was kind of funny because he walks out with his big grin that he has. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I just called Brian a paper pusher and he said, shut up, brew rat. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, so, so, but that being so, said, yeah, the label. So the it's label's a really, neat. And, yeah. and the cool story behind it is that this beer came from Katie's Brew Like a Girl series. So mm-hmm. she's completely in charge uh, with the rest of the females at the brewery. And often, not often, I'm sorry, one time we added another inclusivity group, which is great. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this happened again. So we decided that, you know, Lady of the Woods was a great beer. We'd brew a second batch and yep. can more of it, mm-hmm. which had spawned from Katie's Brew Like a Girl series. And then now this is the second one that we sort of were like, okay, like actually let's throw this into gear, throw it into production. Uh, from a label standpoint, we've got the Brew Like a Girl lady behind the wheel of the 
of the the, the dank van or whatever yeah. you want to call so it. The dank bus. esque bus. Yep. And then um, I was hemming and hawing about what color the background should be, and our graphic designer was like, "Oh, tie dye, Brian." <laughs> so you're like, "Duh." Yeah. yeah. No, no, it was a very much a duh moment. So yeah. I, I, I do really, really, I, I have done a lot of artistic things in my life, and I and I consider brewing to be one of them. Um, but this sort of like being able to contribute to the graphic design of the label and the concept yeah. is is really fun for me. Well, and then the you know we've got this whole description on the side. Is that a kind of collab between <laughs> you and Julie, or is that the copy? Yeah, like the you know. No, funny you should ask that. Uh, Justin and I usually co-write it. Yeah. But this was one of those weird ones where Justin just sort of wrote it, and we looked at it, and we were like. Yeah, this will this will do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they're pretty fun to read. It, the funny thing was is that I I kind of had a busy day the one day and was like I can't really leave the brewery. I got some stuff to do. But Justin was like, No, we have to write copy, and the best way for us to write copy on the back of these cans, um, you know, whether people read it or not, I don't read them when I buy beer. I never read them, you know. Which is so when we write this copy, the best way for Justin and I to do it is to lock ourselves in a vehicle together and drive to one of our markets that we sell beer, which a lot of them are about two or three hours away. It just mm-hmm. sort of depends. And just so, talk copy on the way. Boom. And we write the copy yep. in, in the truck on the way. And I think this was one of the only ones where Justin was just like, no, I wrote it and I read it and was like, let's just roll with it. Yeah. So speaking as somebody outside of the industry, um, I read the copy on the cans all the time. Ever since I discovered like Lagunitas's copy around the label or Stone, or well, I I don't know. I think Stone Lagunitas would write is better. Two but, paragraphs of bullshit. Right. Well, <laughs> it, well, and yeah. Blah blah. But like, blah. As, like as like as soon as you find out like the nonsense that Lagunitas is writing, you're like, well, what the fuck is everybody else writing? Yeah. Because like, yeah. Uh, so I love copy on beers. I don't know bullshit. And I, I, I get I get a little sad like when there's not like a clever co- and they're just like this is an IPA. I just don't know how they how anybody writes copy without tasting the beer. So if it's a new beer and you haven't tasted it, you know it's like when when we make a new beer and we're gonna can it and that like all, all that shit needs to be taken care of before the beer is even have out you, of the tank. Have you yeah. read the copy on uh, New Glarus's, what is it like, the the Nutty Brown or... The Nutty Squirrel? Nutty Squirrel, fat yeah. Squirrel. The, the, fat, the Fat Squirrel, the Nut Brown Ale? Nutty Squirrel's a bar in River Falls. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, 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 but have, have you have you read the copy taken. on have you read the copy on that? No, is it in it's, squir- it's, it's a squirrel? It's literally a story about this one time that Dan saw a squirrel carrying a nut. Oh, like <laughs> the copy doesn't have to have anything to do with the beer. <laughs> that guy is incredibly smart, and you know, I mean, like if someone put a story about me seeing a squirrel carrying a nut on the can, I would I'd be pissed. <laughs> Unless you put it there. I might put it there to troll, <laughs> but <laughs> you should put it on like a Blondale. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I like canned copy, but let's talk so, about the actual. So we're yeah, drinking, talk about the right, beer so we're that's in the can. Fifth triple, which yeah. is a 10% triple, triple. IPA. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and like Brian said, this is a beer that I created for the Brew Like a Girl series that we, we do at, at Hop and Barrel kind of intermittently. Yeah, or as it it's was, fondly known of in-house at Blag. Blag. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a very uh, light-bodied 
obviously super hoppy, 10% IPA. Dry AF. Mm-hmm. It does yeah. not taste 10% it is. at all. Yeah, it's, that's really a, a tough thing. That's to, why this is a good to beer with when you've to talk two. about right yeah. now, because what we're going to end up talking about yeah. in the discussion yeah. are the esters and things. Yep, and exactly. So fusels. yeah, so when I when I designed this recipe, I wanted to be really light bodied. I wanted to use classic hops um, because I'm kind of a, you know, I, I, I like the the new hop, you know, all the the new hops that are coming out but you know i think that the the classic ones this one has chinook and simcoe specifically in it they get a little bit forgotten and if you brew uh brew with them well they're the result is is great so my i'm going for pineapple and armpits with this beer i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you something if you if you took one of those little cans of of the dole pineapple juice right now and you gave that a sniff Mm. and then you sniff the nose of this beer it, it is so similar. Yeah. There is. It, this is just big pineapple and then dank. And when this beer was on, in the tank, uh, you know, someone, I don't drink during the day at work, like, ever. Uh, but once in a while, they'll, you know, bring the QC samples or yeah. whatever. And it depends on the day. And so I'll take my sips of the, you know, five or six beers that get brought to me. But the first time I tasted this one off the tank, it was finished. It was not crashed. Um, and I took maybe... Two thimblefuls, uh, and then ten minutes later had these like just crazy hop burps. And you guys know how that goes if you're a hop head like me. You that's what you're after, really. Yeah. Um, and this one, it, it between the ten percent alcohol and the, the the amount of hops, it your tongue is like my tongue's numb right now, and I've had probably yeah. four sips. So it's a it's a hop head beer for sure. It's so keep it under your hat. But I think it's like ten point seven. Did you say ten point seven? Uh, ten and ten and a half. Ten and a half. Think. Yeah, it finished. Yeah. So I mean, Ethan did bring up a really good point the first time I tried this beer. He was like, "Yeah, it's ten percent, but we really should have made it 15. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then, and then Gor- Gordon pops out of nowhere and it, it was like I agree. Like, yeah. yeah, like he wasn't even there, and all of a sudden Gordon's there. <laughs> Gordon's like fifteen. Why not twenty? Well, Send e- it. E- Ethan's point was like, well, then it's three times five. Oh God, <laughs> he would parabola. Well, right, it's yeah, my favorite yeah. tool song. But uh, I I love this beer because it. <laughs> Making a version of this 15% beer is not out of the question. No, it's really not. Yeah, uh, uh, but it, I mean, so it tastes so good. There's no real like burn. Like it's warming, yep. but it's not burning, which is no. uh, which mm-hmm. it and sneaks up on you hard. It's very important when you yeah. kids are making your high alcohol beers. Yeah, yeah. We had a we had a, a release party on this beer, and I had a 10 ounce glass of this, and then I had one of our our Crooked Grin or regular IPA, and I left I left that glad i wasn't driving you know i mean yeah it's, 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 that's because and you don't you don't even realize it it's like i don't feel as full as i would if i had had you know three glasses of beer mm. or whatever so it's 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 a it's a great i don't know i'm, I'm super proud of this beer i think <laughs> you should phenomenal. be you yeah. should be that's so, yeah. I have a knack from walking home from your anniversary parties because <laughs> <laughs> you're walking well, yeah. Well, my parents so you, lived in North Hudson, so, I gotta <laughs> so you guys stumble well, yeah. once again. Gordon's a large man, and talking? I'm, I'm think small, five foot two. His, <laughs> you're not, and his. You know, we it was a second anniversary party, and our anniversary party is usually in January. Uh, and you know, you you hit up 
Gordon at the anniversary party and, and it's like, well, how many, you know, Space Force have you had? Ten. Ten. Eight and a half. Percent. Next year, we're going to give Gordon a marker and he just has to keep making marks <laughs> for every Space Force. Yeah, yeah. Ten Space Force. We put the marks on his uh, face what's your, so we can your, shame him. Your panda. Yeah. Um, Pandas? Oh, five. Milkshake? Yeah, it's in the oh, I had one of those and I had one of your, you had a Belgian on at your second episode three yeah which was is a, a higher one an interesting one to talk 13, 13, about 13 later so this is uh this this is a great discussion that i that Speaking i would love to go into but um, this is more of a doo discussion we need <laughs> yeah. to get some, yeah. some yeah, homebrew yeah. all right well let's jump let's, in let's talk some science mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about esters and fusel alcohols and IPAs, continuing our, uh, basically the Homebrew Bound Book Club, going through the new IPA, uh, a scientific guide to hop and aroma and flavor. Scott Janish, Janish, yep, uh, Janish. forward by Stan Hieronymus. Uh, if you haven't picked up this book yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, we've all loved it. We've had our minds yeah. blown multiple times and riffing on it for weeks. Um, yeah, man. so this is the fifth chapter. Uh, so basically, an overview here. Um, so esters and fusel alcohols are or can either play a like a background supporting role in hoppy beers or completely take over. And we're kind of be diving into something that has been kind of a theme running through this. And Brian pointed that out this earlier today. Is we're talking a lot about how flavors interact with each other versus how they're how they stand on their own um like because especially when we look at um esters esters have a very low um like taste threshold like we're looking between like 0.2 ppm which is super low up to like 48 ppm depending on the ester um but if you have multiple esters working together to create like a flavor um like they create like this weird synergistic effect which moves that taste threshold way lower than it would be for the individual ester. Right. So what we're going to end up here in the overview talking about is anything with A-T-E on the end of it, ethyl acetate, isoamyl acetate, etc. Now, that being said, all of these esters, but, when you start stacking esters, what, what Casey was saying that I yeah. was saying was that when you start stacking any flavor, literally, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to dumb down the flavor in a sense like you if you have six things that all have competing flavors that are eh, somewhat similar which one's going to stick out well which one were you going for so that's kind of part of this overview but what he's saying is that when you start throwing a bunch of shit at something it's going to get muddled it's going to get muddled and you're going to end up with a different flavor than you were maybe anticipating right um so the the main esters that we're talking about here are ethyl acetate uh, which gives you a fruity, like solvent-like flavor. Um, isoamyl acetate, uh, which is banana. Um, isobutyl acetate, which is pineapple. And then ethyl uh, caproate and ethyl caprylate, which are both sour apple. Mm-hmm. And then phenyl ethyl acetate, which is like a flowery flavor. Mm-hmm. So you can see the the kind of the any of these are these were. All acetates except for the caproate and caprylate, which again are very similar. So, so anything that adds with eight yep. is an a- is fruit, a- banana, pineapple, apple, apple, flower, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got solvent at the top with the ethyl acetate. So. And, and uh, I've been told, and correct me if I'm wrong, like 
perfume-ish flavors yes. are definitely a... So is, is, is perfume perfume esser, ester or is that fusel? Ooh. I don't have an answer to that. I, I, dead, dead, dead air. Probably, uh, probably, probably fusel, actually. Probably okay. fusel. It's an alcoholish. Yeah, I, I thought. I, yeah, I always thought it was, but I like I could have been remembering wrong. Mm-hmm. My mind starts to churn because when we talk about like perfumes and that, I know damn well there's a shitload of actual alcohol. Right. In well, it. and we yeah. so and if we yeah. go if we roll back, um, I don't know six. Well, hop series was what? No, that was probably almost a year ago now. Uh, we were talking about when we were going through the the hot book. I believe oh God, we that was were talking. Yeah, ago. when we were talking about fusels. Gordon, you're you're an you're, avid listener. Yeah. Uh, so I asked you to brew in December. So that'd been November of seventeen. Two years ago. All right. So if we roll back two years, uh, when we were going through the hot book. How was that two uh, years? God. Well, it's almost um, three actually. Two and a half. Because that was the first time I started listening. It was uh, your episode, your first episode of the hop series. And that's when I got angry and confused and went back to day one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're also going to be talking about fusel alcohol. And so they they add flavors, but they're not um, nearly as important as esters in when we're talking about IPAs. Yeah. Um, So it's more just that they're there. And we're going to be talking about uh, propanol, isobutanol. Uh, active amyl alcohol and iso amyl alcohol. Iso amyl alcohol, yeah. All right. Um, and so that's where you get your your hot, your burning alcohol flavors from. Which is not appropriate in any style whatsoever. Yeah. No. But at, at a certain point, like if you're looking at like a 15% barley wine, you're going to get alcohol burn and a lot, some of that's going to be, fr- because we're going to be also talking about that, like your well, higher. you that's... think about this beer, this triple IPA we're drinking and you get a, a warming, you know, warming, but it isn't like, but not hot. You, have, you know, you, it, it isn't like you take a sip of it and have to kind of exhale real quick. Cause yeah. it, you know, that shouldn't be happening when you drink beer. Warming, not hot. And then yeah. hot, unacceptable. Um, and then that, kind of breaks my rule of don't age beer. Um, I would absolutely never, ever age in, in a thing that was called an IPA. Uh, but so if you, but, if, if you go over 10% <laughs> in an IPA, at what point do you just end up into a barley wine? A barley wine, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, barley we, wines uh, are more of an English style and require... But, there, but there's two. There's caramel an English... Or, Style and there's the American style barley wine and an American style of barley wine is just a triple IPA. That's well, but aged. we, yeah, well, and, and you know that's we a have a very good argument. And I we have brewed tend to a, agree with you. We have we have brewed a black IPA, and it aged long enough where we call it now an American porter, porter. because the 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 hop characteristic of that that hoppy IPA character has dropped out. But it's still a great beer. It's just not an IPA, so it's an American porter now. Beer's gone now. It might be. Yeah. No. Anyway. <laughs> Ask the guy who does the inventory. Right. All right. No. So that's uh, so the kind of the overview of what we're talking about is we're we're talking about these flavors in Mm -hmm. IPAs. Um, And so let's talk about fermentation temp. Uh, You want to take us into this one, Brian? Sure. So your higher fermentation temperatures uh, are going to give you uh, all kinds of different things. But as it relates to our conversation, we're talking about increased esters and alcohols. Um, and as you can can tell, a, a couple of those things tend to blend together, which is uh, kind of makes it harder to differentiate. Uh, um, so 
What? Well, so uh, on the, in this book, what I really liked um, was he he approached it from kind of the homebrew level uh, when we're talking about fermentation temperature. So, um, like when we're talking about like yeah, higher higher fermentation temperatures increase the esters and alcohol, right? Uh, lower you have less. But he was like, okay, but during the summer on the homebrew level with my groundwater, I can't like I can't feasibly lower it less than 86 degrees right what do i do use kyvec east um <laughs> okay. and he's not wrong but so he did he did some uh some really interesting uh experiments here that i thought um so he found that uh like if you can decrease the fermentation temperature during the climax of fermentation which um we know is like 48 to 36 hours in, like depending on the yeast that you use, your pitching rate and stuff like that, um, that can also decrease your esters um, lower than keeping it at a constant temperature. So if you pitch at like your fermentation temp and then you hit climax and then you crash, then like not, not crash it, but lower it slowly, that can decrease ester production. But if you're pitching at a higher uh, than fermentation temp, he found some stuff that he wasn't able to actually like quantify um, but he has some theories on that he wants to do some more testing on, which I found immensely uh, fascinating. So, um, ester production really doesn't kick in until about 12 hours in, is what he found. Like, that's where you're going to get the most of your ester production sure. is about 12 hours into the fermentation. So, if you pitch higher than that, like, as long as you're down to your fermentation temp within 12 hours, you're not going to notice a huge increase in ester production. But, um, glyc... Uh, glycerol production um, occurs within the first eight hours of fermentation, and he posits that um, in his experiment and is in in his experimental brews, what he found was the ones where he pitched higher and then brought down had better mouthfeel because of uh, the glycerol production. Yeah, I was just gonna say glycerol is is a mouthfeel component yeah if people don't know what the hell that is uh yeah yeah no there's more to it than that but let's just leave it there for the moment well Um, yeah so um so what we're kind of what casey's kind of alluding to or what we're talking about here is like as a home brewer how your groundwater is going to differ right where where you live from you know higher to lower depending on where you live um, and if it's much higher, you know, I'm, we're always afraid to pitch the yeast in warm work because it might increase esters and alcohol you know, production, which is interesting because in this book, I believe the, the yeast he calls out is a Safel SO4, uh, which is an English strain. Mm-hmm. And it tends to do all kinds of weird tricks when the temperature isn't dead on right? yes. and doesn't have a D rest. And if you don't nail the D rest. Yes. <laughs> And With, by, within like 90 seconds. Nine, right. And Katie can speak to this and so can I. Um, and, you know, folks are making these hazy IPAs and that's the reason why Scott used SO4 because yep. it's cheap. He's doing experiments. O4 is going to mimic the London 3. That's yep. the big popular it's one gonna, for you know, it's gonna the hazy IPAs some, these days. It's so. going to give some more malty. Uh, it's going to. Smooth out the malt bill a little bit more than American. That too. The SAF 05, which mm-hmm. is going to be a little bit more crisp. And, and if you're looking to brew an, a hazy IPA. SO4 is a weird flocculator too. It's, um, it's messed up. It's <laughs> It just doesn't. You know, and by flocculation, if, you're, if this is your first <laughs> podcast, uh, 
again, we know. Oh, it, no, it, it does. Yeah. It's chunky. As, right. Yeah. So, I mean, so like I, I don't mean like it doesn't flock. It, it, what I mean is that it's like this big affair instead of it just like dry. It'll flocculation is when the yeast all kind of cluster together and go to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it, so it, it does flock, but it does it in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to gather together in a big clump instead yeah. of just dropping in a smaller clump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the commercial level, you don't really worry about that because you always pitch at fermentation temp because you guys are able to drop yeah, it we usually, extremely quickly. We usually pitch uh, a few degrees lower if we can. Okay. Um, just to be sure. Yep. Well, and then, you know, with, yeah, there's a bunch of different factors as to why that goes. Hose mm-hmm. length. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess that's really all we, uh, all we really have to talk about, about temperature. I feel like, well, and you know, let's, I feel like something needs to be said here is, is this, you know, this is a hop book, but I, I, I feel like, uh, this, this chapter specific, specifically is, I mean, it's all, this is yeast. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very yeast focused. Yeah, Yeah. so it's, it's, we're, we're talking about, um, how the fermentation of your beer affects the yeast, which will then affect your hops of these hazy yeah. IPAs that you're trying to brew. Right. Yeah, good, very good point. Which is not very much. Yeah. You don't think so? You don't... You, you don't, like... I, I don't know. I feel like your... Like, how your yeast ferments is going to affect your, your hop flavor quite a bit. Uh, I guess that's what we're talking about. Now, is this one of those ones where Bjorn's going to be like, you guys drank too many beers? <laughs> No, I just. I mean, uh, I, no, no. I mean, it's, I, I it's, it's 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 a good conversation. I meant to have more on a homebrew standpoint, I guess. If you don't, if you're not nailing your temperature, like, like, I don't see how there's a whole ton of variation if you're not. Oh, oh, you're talking about temperature specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If if you don't have like super solid temperature control on the homebrew level. This isn't really something that you can affect too. This much. is going to be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I guess what I meant too is is you know if you're brewing a beer, um, at, on a homebrew level, the the ester and fusel alcohols, the hops, the hops don't play a huge part of whether they're increased and decreased based on fermentation temperature. Yeah, right. The yeast is doing is doing yeah. that, and then right. it's going to affect. You know the, well, the end product yeah. with these hoppy yes. beers. Well, so, this so, entire chapter is yeast based. Right. Yes. What I yeah, said was, yeah. but what I meant was, and I was going off this third note in our notes, which the listeners can't see, obviously. Yep. But pitching higher than fermentation temp on the homebrew level, possibly no noticeable difference in ester production, and possibly increasing in in glycerol. Which would yeah. increase the yeah mouthfeel, right. and that was yeah that that was that was the most uh, that was that was uh, the one part of this section that we hadn't talked about in previous episodes as right. far as yeast goes is like the glycerol increase um, potential in that, and so that's like, and that's just kind of what I wanted to mention. Like that's something that really should be explored, and I would be interested to see what those kind of results look like. Interesting. Yeah, there's. I don't know. This this book continues to blow my mind because I don't think anyone has ever. Be, because I'll just throw it out here. There's there's a fad in beer right now for this type of beer, and no one has gone about all the trouble to collect the information that's relevant to this style specifically. And so that's why there's all yeah. these like 
amazing but, revelations for us. Well, for us. The, so there's that, and there's also, at least for me, I'm looking at how can I apply these things to other styles. Mm-hmm. And just yeah, in, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, with this book I, I almost want to say that this particular section affects all styles. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. Yeah. Period. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. And I was going to mention that earlier. You know, you could take uh, a. For example, last week we talked about Oktoberfests, and if you pitch, you know, we we were talking about clean clean yeast using clean yeast. You know, if you if you want to make an Oktoberfest and brew it at sixty seven degrees, you're gonna have uh, a uh, estuary fusilli mess Oktoberfest yep. potentially, and or that I mean, it's, it's, and that you know, yeah. and that's not what that style is, but so that's why you know, decreasing your your fermentation temperatures, you're going to decrease these two components of that beer. And if you want them to be higher, for example, in like a Hefeweizen or a Belgian ale, then yeah, you want to increase your temperature. Or if you, you want ferment. to, uh, if you want to emphasize banana, which is an ester, mm-hmm. or clove, which mm-hmm. is a fusel. Like, yep. yep. But those are also other things that you're, the way you do your mash, your mash can, yeah. can affect that. Well, no, no, no yeah. well, I mean, we, we've talked about that up yeah. to this point. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 So this, um, yeah, this this is a great chapter for you know you you don't even need to be wanting to brew a, a hazy IPA you just brew some beer, uh, and you know see how the fermentation temperatures affect that well, beer. Shall we move on to trub? Let's or move trub. on to trub. Yes. Trub, trub, whatever. Trub. But um, Katie, you you want to take us through this one? Sure. I don't this I don't understand this. This is I mean this is totally all new for me. But uh, so the findings were that the more trub present in the fermenter reduces esters and increased alcohols. Um, beers with true present in the ferment also fermented about two days faster. Uh, they were more vigorous and higher sus- suspended yeast count during the fermentation. Yeah, so um, there was a there was a Japanese study that happened in 1982 uh, that they, they looked at the effect of uh, Trube on, um, on on early fermentation, and they found that uh, with no trube, you had very low, or uh, you had a two day slower fermentation, uh, like using the same everything, um, and you had more esters and alcohol, or uh, more more esters but fewer fusels, mm-hmm. which I I thought was very weird because. The uh, like, the the common knowledge was always reduce the the trub that you put in the beer yeah. and it'll be a cleaner beer. Yep. Um, but like you don't necessarily want those alcohols, and so what they've kind of found is, if you want to kind of like push up those esters a little bit, have some trub in your beer. That that's, that blows or, my mind. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Same. And <laughs> uh, man, this whole chapter is just yeah so i mean it that's always it it's like you know you want you want you know we do these whirlpools on the commercial level and we do all these things to reduce all that extra stuff and i you know that's for beer clarity on a, on yeah. a lot of levels but yeah. um, and when you're looking at a haze you don't well really and gordon the, you have something you want to say go ahead well, and i was just going to ask a question but katie kind of answered it i was going to say for the knuckle draggers out there like myself did you guys ever give a, a textbook definition of troube it's oh. hot break, cold break. It's it's the crap left at the bottom of your kettle. Yeah, that's what well. Yeah, after a Katie lot said, of that, would, yeah. yeah, crap is what is like it's gurgling yeah. around on yeah. top of the kettle when you're like, oh, what's all that shit? And it's like 
you know, there, there's arguments into like, should oh, the I, skimming should I versus a skim that? Should I not yeah. skim that? Should I, you know, am I going to get hot side aeration? Blah blah. And and you know, we've yeah. done other podcasts. It's just all that, the, so it's all the, on, but all the hop, uh, the hops, and then the malt stuff. proteins that sort of break themselves down and then recoagulate themselves during the boil, and then as you're cooling that, they drop to the bottom. Yeah. And so my my theory, and I don't have anything to back this up, is a lot of that contains yeast nutrient, which yes. uh, really pushes um, the fermentation side, mm-hmm. um, which kind of pulls us into the next side, which is about adding yeast nutrient to beer. Um, do you guys add a lot of yeast nutrients? We, we always do. Yeah. add yeast nutrient, okay. but I don't... I mean, when you guys are doing... 30 barrels in one day, do you yeast nutrient both of them or just yeah. one of them? Yeah, okay. Both. Yeah. When you equal, equal parts. I mean, we, we add some Epsom salt, which has got some magnesium and things in there that help help the yeast. Yep. Cause the yeast and need all add, their vitamins and minerals, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a yeast nutrient that is, is essentially just dead yeast cells. And, the and, and the worry there is, is a heightened level of fan or, you know, free amino nitrates. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and also, apparently now, ester production. <laughs> right. And so now Shit. when we've read this, <laughs> uh, an increased ester and alcohol production. And so what I was going to say is that when when I God, this is five-ish. Is it that long ago that I was brewing fucking beer? Yeah. Yeah. Five-ish years ago. Um, the, the gentleman that I learned from uh, who I still... Um, you know, hold in high regard, Brian Shebe. Uh He was like, we would do 60 barrels and you do 15 at a time, you know, 15, 15, 15, 15. And his thing was, we're only putting yeast nutrient into the first turn because he thought he had this theory and about the fan being too high and, and there being too many nutrients and too much, so if your fan's too high, you're going to get more fusels because those get turned into fusels. And that was why. Yeah. Because he was like, there, there's more byproduct involved. Yeah, I want the colony to be, you know, successful and grow and all that kind of stuff. But when you're pushing into a fermenter, four batches and how many hours does a batch take? Like six and a half, seven. Right. And so if if you're all that time is elapsing. So if you're you can brew on a Monday, put it into a fermenter on Monday, then your five gallon, and then come back on Tuesday and, and do your second brew. It depends on your equipment. But on your second brew on a 10 gallon, that's when you enter into that territory where it's like, okay, the oxygen has has gone through its sterile synthesis. The colony has grown. What are we doing with the yeast nutrient? Okay, we're feeding something that already was fed. And so it's picking stuff up in the in the cell and dropping something else. And that's, I think, where he was going or where I am going with what happens uh, when you add yeast nutrient to something that doesn't need any nutrients right now. Yep. It's going to do something weird with it. That, mm-hmm. That's exactly what it's saying here is right. Right? yeast nutrient is great for healthy fermentation. Um, but if but, it's already going, why add, you don't add right. more. Well, and if, if you, if you add, if you have too much, it'll hinder esters and boost fusels, which I don't, I mean, I want esters sometimes. Yeah. Right. Situationally. Do I um, want fusels ever? No. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you, you basically have to walk walk this tightrope ro- tight of keeping your yeast healthy, 
but not adding too much to increase that fan. Yeah, when are you not walking a tightrope when you're when you're? Oh, no, well, no, 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 it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's like, you know, and, like, and which tightrope do we want to talk cost, about here? Apparently from just a cost one. perspective, you know, yeast yeast nutrient isn't a ton of money, but if no. you can save, um, you know, for us we do we do a ton of double brew, brew batches, yeah. whether it's double brew day. Usually we do them. You know, day one, day two kind of situation. But if we can save, you know, for us it's rare to do the day one, day two. Yeah, the if we can, you know, save on a hundred grams of yeast nutrient, every, right. pretty much every week. Every, and if, and everything. Yeah, if, you can, if yeah. you can do half as much, like yeah. that's half your cost. I'm gonna talk to Ethan about that. <laughs> Damn it, Ethan! <laughs> Look what you did. <laughs> that's probably Reddit on Reddit. What, like not adding yeah. yeast nutrient yeah. the second turn? Uh, he might not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But no, it, it's 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 really interesting to hear that, like, it was your mentor's theory. Um, and now, like, we it's have studies a, to back it's it It's in up. a book now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's, awesome. that's super intriguing. All right. Um, and then let's, let, like, I, oxygen, we all know, is a very important part of... It's only important during one part. During one part. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, so, I mean, that depends if we're talking about anaerobic or semi-anaerobic, which this gets into a little bit. <sighs> oh, fuck me. Um, <laughs> oh, look at the time. No, <laughs> I feel the same way, Katie. <laughs> All right, so but basically we're talking about anaerobic fermentation, um, and so basically kind of always want that. If though. you well, here here's an interesting thing. So if you want more esters, stress your yeast a little bit on the oxygen, mm-hmm. um, because then you're going to force more more ester production. Oh, okay. From from that standpoint, it's fine. But like we're talking like you're going to end up over pitching, based on that. Yes, not necessarily. My instinct would my, my would instinct be of, if you gave it less oxygen from the when it's coming out of the chiller, you gave it less oxygen. There's less sterile synthesis, which would cause me to pitch more yeast, which would cause more trube. Which in this particular chapter, you know, we've got more trube is reduced. So we've we've built up. Right. We, we have we have the we have the yeast that we're gonna add. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. We we have that. Um, at this point, we're looking at purely one variable. So all the other variables are the same. We pitch the same amount of yeast, but we drop the the O2 that we infuse yeah. into the beer a little bit, yep. and then we're going to increase ester production. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're yeah. you're not over pitching. You're not like that. You it's it's the same variables except for the oxygen. Okay. Yes. All right. And I, and I from my experience, people that uh, I've come across that brew great like Hefeweizens and Belgian ales that have a lot of esters, um, they, well, A, they underpitch their yeast, but that's off the table at this point, but they also almost don't, you know, they don't oxygenate their wort as it's going in. Right, and there's probably a maltase rest, which is another thing we're not talking about right now, but... Yeah, but you know, if, the, if you take mash mash temps out of it, those two things also right. help. I don't know. So you guys can see, there's a pretty dizzying amount of combinations. There's there's so many shit can like, work. Uh, <laughs> the, so many variables. And what I like here is we're taking we're taking them one at a time. Like so, all things being equal, if we change their their fermentation temp- temperature, and nothing else, we're gonna change something. We change the amount of trub in there, we're gonna change something. Mm-hmm. The yeast nutrient, we're gonna change something, mm-hmm. which makes me respect. Brewers who can make a consistent fucking beer 
time after yeah. time after time so much more. Making a good tasting beer is great, but making it taste the same every single time is a work of art. Which is very difficult. Which and I hate to say this, but the uh, the Budweiser or like the Anheuser Busch, the Miller Coors, like yeah. those brewers are the creme de la creme. As, as, like, as soon as you understand that and then put that aside, like and then try to do that. Like the the sooner the better. It's insane. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like I said. As a consumer, uh, it it definitely changed my perspective on those ginormous breweries out there. Yeah, for sure. What is my whole thing? What was it? Sierra Nevada. It it was you know they're like, hey, we're gonna move like not move, but we're gonna open a a brewery on the we, east coast. We have this one in Chico, California, and then we have this one in on the east coast, and it took them three months brewing day and night, day and night. Just, and this is anecdotal. So if this, you know, if you've read differently, whatever. But only brewing the their Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. That sounds really good. Do you have any of those here? Casey? I wish. Uh, I don't currently. Mm. We usually try to keep some of that on. I'm sorry. But it took them. It took them months to make the the beer taste the same, even though they have all yeah. all of the monies in the world and all yeah. of the technologies in the world. And and that wasn't just water. No, uh, it was all of these it was, variables. It, it was. Everything, yeah. It was everything. Yeah. And that's All why right. I've always said, you know, you, you, you can take, you can have two breweries make the same the same beer, the and same. they're not going to taste the same exactly. Right. You know, um, so this this might be too much for the listeners, but did you guys did you guys finish reading this? No, chapter? I, I got to the pH section and realized I needed to concentrate Okay, oh, you know, that's fine. Uh, Katie, did you? Uh, I think so. Okay, so Brian, question. Yes. Um, what do you think reducing the pH on the beer will do to the esters? I, I'm just, I'm just curious, like what, what, what your innate like thing would tell you. Ask me again. Uh, reducing the pH, what does that do to the esters? It'll reduce the esters. It does. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I actually. I mean, we're agree, talking about I esters. Think, that's my instinct. I think it actually would, if it, if anything, it, it, it. Well, this is all I guess. It it just reduces the perception of the esters because it sharpens uh, the beer. Interesting. Well, make, so you know, it, reducing the pH, it, it'll decrease them. The, but I mean, like, what is the pH you're talking so, all about? All right, so though? they all right. So in here, um, okay, they uh, they went they they tested three different pHs of the same beer, seven point oh, which is you know close mm-hmm. to water, five point oh, and three point oh. Um, beer fermented at a pH of 7.0 resulted in the highest ester concentration with a 13% increase in the total um, acetate esters and 7% increase in the total ethyl, ethyl ester production compared to the control, which is 5.0 uh, pH beer. On the other hand, beer fermented at a low pH of 3.0 resulted in 18% decrease in total ester concentration. All right, so your mash needs to be at 5.2 to 5.6. Then when you're fermenting, where is it at? I can't answer that off the top of my head. And then as it keeps going, what does it keep doing? It decreases, yeah. Right. But so you look at, um, so I I always like, in my head, at least as a home brewer, like I was like, okay, lower pH, like I don't want to go too low, or I'm going to end up in Berliner Weiss territory, because you start you start fermentation of like a kettle sour Berliner at like 4.2, right? Something like 
like or yeah, yeah it's like four point two. Well, and the other thing is, is, you know, you could start. You could start. In my opinion, you could start a a you know your your wort pH could be five point two, and you put X amount of yeast in that beer to ferment, and mm-hmm. then you double that in the same exact. I mean, you could even take make it say a ten ten gallon batch as a home brewer, split it into two five gallon. You pitch a pack of yeast in one, and two packs of yeast in the other, and the 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 finishing pH is going to be different. Yeah, you know. Well, so it's it, it isn't just where you start. It's it's how it's you it's, know, how, it's, it's it, all how those it's consistencies. Well, and then yeah, and then about. then immediately yeah. I'm like, oh well, wait. One has lactobacillus in it, and that's yeah. going to cause the tartness. Like, and so that like the lactic acid is not necessarily that's what's dropping it, and so that like completely changed my perception of yeah. how to view this. It's just, it's too much. So yeah, pH is a thing, Gordon. You need to remember that. pH is a thing. <laughs> I think a good. I mean, you know, if if you if you're a home brewer and you're just like, what in the hell is just happening here? You you want to start with a pick pick a pH for your wort. And buy a pH meter and, you know, store it well and do all your things. But, you know, I, I my, my ideal pH is 5.2 to 5.3 for a, a mash pH. And start there and pitch a, a consistent amount of yeast no matter what. And your beer, you know, then you'll then you'll kind of have a consistent pH, work pH. So, Katie, do you do, uh, do you know, kind of know, like, where your final pH is on your beers, or do you not worry about that at all? I do worry about that. Okay. It's on yeah. a clipboard on a sheet that... <laughs> yeah, no, I do, I do. on the wall. Um, and when I became a, a more integral part of the brewing process, that was one of my first things was to um, fix, in my opinion, fix that. Um, it wasn't something, and we use a sigillated malt to adjust our, our mash pH. You know, we don't we don't use a lot of. So all right, so if, if you if you use the same mash pH and the same water profile, um, do, do you do anything like so? If it's coming out of say it's coming out of the kettle and it's off, do you do anything to adjust it there? Not at not at that point. If that becomes more of a oh next time let's do something a little bit different but unfortunately i mean we i think we're pulling off of like four or five aquifers in hudson so yeah you don't have all, a consistent it all needs to be kind of averaged out you know it needs to be averaged out and as as much testing as as we can do it still just needs to be yeah. i mean out. we we test our water basically every batch mm-hmm. and, you guys have that really cool uh water testing thing that i was looking into right like, yeah what is that thing called uh, well it's a kit you can buy and then you can add app it's yeah the, stuff. Yeah. the exact dip to it yeah, yeah. uh yeah you know, they, they make yeah. it like you can yeah. also get it at the homebrew level it's not super expensive it is yeah. inexpensive it's AF. like a hundred 150 bucks, I think, for the base, yep. and then very well worth it. Yeah. But then you add, you know, which apps you want to use in your phone because yep. there are and then, yeah. a multitude of industries that need to uh, check their uh, the pH of their yeah. water. So. And then we have to add those numbers to an to another um, online, and I can't think of the name of it, but it's an online spreadsheet where you put, you know, you put your. your the, it's a. I need to reach. It's a water calculator. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah. And I can't remember what it's called either, but it yeah it, it is like I'm just repeating what you said. Yeah. It's it's set up on a spreadsheet, and yeah. then oh you, no, it's it's the one that Justin talked about when we did the water show. Yeah. Correct, yes. and you've got one, one, and you've got one more balancing act yeah. to yeah. commit. And, to. and he can, doesn't believe in the pH balance on that spreadsheet, so that's why not you do another thing at all. Yep. And you can so. and you can then um, kind of pick your salts, the amount of salts you're using, so calcium chloride, gypsum, epsom. 
um, calcium carbonate, I guess, would be the Cup other or. one. And we've all talked about this on whatever. And then, but but anyway, for for us at at, salt bay. at Hop, we. <laughs> Um, we, we, can, we, we consider use, all of the salt bays. We use and the, and those salts help adjust the. Here I am. I'm like, on top. Anyway, uh, we use acidulated malt in in order to lower our mash pH. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The salts are for something different. All right. Yeah. Um, we should probably wrap up. Uh, Brian, what was your biggest takeaway from this chapter? <laughs> Big takeaway. Well, no, I, I honestly like it. Was was there something that really stood out to you? Um, it, it was a pretty narrow chapter. Um, I personally like it. It it was like, yeah, these variables are going to do the things to the esters and the fusels. Okay. I think it is is this chapter super useful for homebrewing? Not really, um, because your fermentation temperature is going to kind of be all over the place. Um, are you going to add yeast nutrient? Yeah. Are you going to do multiple? But I don't know. Um, yeah. Katie, was there a big takeaway from this? Uh, I you? think, I think mine was uh, fermentation temperatures. If you want, if you're looking, you know, if you're looking at this book as a, I want to brew the best hazy IPA I can, you're, you're going to want to, um, adjust your fermentation temperatures to be higher so you can get some of those fruity, those okay. smooth fruity flavors. Um, and, you know, f- controlling your fermentation temperatures is all about how much equipment you want to put into the hobby as a home brewer. So it's possible. You know, I had a um, one of those, you know, it's like a, a freezer, a, a chest freezer that I put an external, uh, external thermostat on and I was able to keep my you know, ambient temperatures in that to be 62 degrees and keep everything pretty consistent. But, um, you know, it's all about fermentation temperature and well, it's yeast too. That's important to me. Right. Um, I I just, it depends on what you're trying to do with the beer is my point. Well, I had, I had, I had a couple of things that I pulled away from this one. Um, the playing with like pitching higher to increase increase that glycerol like that seems really interesting to me and i'd like to play around with that a little bit um then the true making that much of a difference in your ester production and then your fermentation speed as well um that was super interesting to me and then the yeast nutrient thing like you had already had experience with that, but i pointing at me brian oh yeah brian sorry i'm sorry (laughs) i'm used to i like Going back, like way back, like it used to just be you and me, and yeah, so I could just say true. you. All right, yeah. So Brian, you had already had experience with that, and like not adding Katie, not necessarily the same experience. And then I was like, oh, that can fuck shit up. Did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So so you asked me, and and then moved on quickly because I was being verbose. But like th- this whole chapter had to do with variables. Yeah. Yep. And there are. So what was the what was the question like? What it was, oh no? Did you take what was the main have any takeaway? takeaway? Well, no, no, just like for, yeah, for the, you, the like main, was there anything new that you're like? Oh, no, I would like to look at that. Not really, <laughs> okay. but like yeah. the the main takeaway here is that you've got an like a dizzying amount of variables to think about here, and the 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 key thing here is what temperature are you fermenting at, and that's pretty much it. Well, High, I, the higher the firm temp is going to increase ester and alcohol. Uh, Troops going to increase or decrease, blah blah blah. Like it, it's like I don't know. Like what kind of beer are you trying well, to make? And, and the other, the other takeaway I guess could also be it's it's if you're if you're trying to 
nail down any style of beer and I want to make the per- like I said the perfect hazy IPA, you need to change one thing at a time and brew yeah. that thing, do- you know, a dozen Only times change and say, all right, this time I'm gonna time. I'm gonna switch from you know 65 degree ferment to 67 and see what that looks like. But Brian, you know, I would like that. to get a new brew system. Change my fermentation. Change my you ingredient say malt list. Bill, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna change my malt bill. I'm gonna. I'm gonna change the hops that I'm using and, and uh, every other thing. I'm gonna like throw. When I'm done doing that, I'm gonna call Casey and be like, "What the fuck's wrong?" I'm, I'm gonna do what Gordon would do and change everything. Uh, and then whatever. it's just like everything else. It's like, uh, yeah. oh, you bought the most expensive. <laughs> Golf club. Well, do you suck at golf? Well, you're still gonna suck at golf. Even no, you uh, no. Really, but I, I, my golf club is broken. Like I, I, I'm with you on this. Like this really illustrates like how minute the changes are, and they will completely change your beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Oh, is is that Wait, we're leaving time? Oh, you, you, oh, Gordon has a question. Good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you you put you sent me the notes for the first time, and uh, you have a listener mail in here. It's not so much mail since I'm in studio, Wait. but I just want to oh. say on air thank you to you guys for breaking down the beginner brew kits oh god because it made it a lot less scarier for me because when i contacted ukc about brewing the beer and i brewed the beer i'm like fuck i want to do this at home and then i go online i look at the kits out there it's like what the fuck is all of this you guys broke down all that information very simple i listened to it while i was working got home listened to it again while looking at the kits you're talking about like oh this makes a hundred times more sense now. Also listening to five years of Homer Bone. Helped. So which one do you want to get? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have notes at home that I can look to, but there, the, yeah, I was, uh, I was ready to order and then some, some, right. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying, up, but I'm trying to remember which one we, we deemed the best. I feel like it was a like more beer one. I think it was. Yeah. It, was that the second company you talked yeah. about? Yes. It was, Second company is the first or second out of their three kits you talked about. Okay, yeah. So that's what I was all excited. I'm gonna go order shit, and then some payroll stuff came up. So it's like that's on hold. But until then, but it it helped me as someone who's brewed a well. I didn't really brew. It's more of I bought the ingredients, and then Casey yelled at me for doing things wrong. But it it helped as a as you know. If there's anybody yeah. listening for the first time, this is their first episode. Go back, listen to that episode. It makes it a lot more digestible. So. I basically got to pretend to be Brian for a brew day. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this book. Oh, oh, I know. I, I made Gordon do all the work and yell at him when he did something wrong. Oh, yeah. I said, I, I said <laughs> that I was a saint. For I that said day. that I would join for a homebrew day, but I wasn't going to do anything other than sit there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why my, I would have you. That's my dream job. <laughs> <laughs> good job. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Thank you for tuning in this week, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it because we had fun. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Any questions, comments, show ideas, or have you got interest in email at feedback at blindnessseries.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at blindnessseries. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care.